Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad that you're joining us again today. Today we're going to have another very interesting show because we're going to be exploring something that is really very much on the minds of everyone. Anyone who's paying attention to what it is that's going on worldwide in the body politic and the uh, social memes of what is presenting itself to us literally worldwide. We're getting different types of information. Uh, some we refer to as real and genuine from sources and authorities that we've trusted for a long, long time. And we are also getting news from other sources that we are wondering about their authenticity. Well, if we listen to the news and we pay attention to the standard media, we should really want to know for sure that what is being reported to us has validity. And yet, there's a big question mark now. You could actually go back historically and say, well, what has been reported after all over the past 20, 30, 40, 50, or 60 years? What has been the legitimacy? And, by the way, how do the stories get selected for reportage out of the entire spectrum of possibilities, of options? Certainly, everything can be reported. You know, a baby being born in Somalia, for instance, won't get the same type of headlines as a murder in Cologne, just as a, as a far-fledged example. But, you know, both of them are actually newsworthy in some way, in some world. You know, we think at a better world of such things as good news, whereas the mainstream media really refers primarily to things that are somewhat god-awful as the news. And this is why a lot of people don't like to watch things at 11 o'clock before they go to sleep and watching fires blazing and things of that sort, people killing each other. And it's probably a good thing because it's not very healthy for consciousness. It's not very good for the hormonal system to be digesting that kind of information so late at night. But overall, there's a larger picture because this really factors into the larger story of how do we perceive what it is we perceive? How do we know what we know? How do we know that we know? So it raises, you could say, certain epistemological questions that really deserve our attention. And the subject of media reporting real news or quote-unquote fake news really, in a sense, if you dig a little deeper, brings up these kinds of questions about how is it that we know anything? Where in our mind, where in our heart, where in our body do we get a certain sense of validation or verification? So this will be part of what it is we take a look at today as I bring on with us someone who has been a guest on A Better World in the past, speaking about a book that he wrote, and that's Richard Bowell who is a philosopher, author, and he's been asking these kinds of penetrating questions for literally decades. He's got the, the joy of living on a beautiful, remote, 
well, from New York's point of view, Greek island, and he's had a chance to really think through and reflect on a lot of what it is that passes many people by. And so we'll have the pleasure of speaking with him, as well as an associate of his, Kate Dundorf, who is working with him closely on a project connected to a nonprofit and the entire idea of human evolutionary change. So on that note, I would love to uh, invite you on and uh, welcome you to A Better World. It's great to have you, Richard and Kay. Absolutely. No, no, no. Here, let's get this. There we go. Okay, and okay. again, We've thank you very our... much. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so welcome. And Kay is here next to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you, Mitch. It's really a pleasure to be back with you again. Absolutely, absolutely. We actually, this is kind of funny, we did do this just last week exactly, seven days ago, yeah. and uh, the gods smiled upon the content of what we were doing, but not on our technique. But today, I am glad to say, everything is running just fine. So, Richard, I laid out a few different uh, areas of interest for Mm -hmm. our audience, people who want to understand more deeply what it is we're understanding, perceiving. How do we understand what's going on on the face of our planet on the human level? Mm. So what, it is, what is it that you can uh, kind of illuminate our listeners with mm. in regard to this? Mm. All right. Well, th- thank you for the introduction, uh, Mitch. Um, l- let me begin, begin with some, yeah, some words that really ring, um, which is man's search for truth, the human search for truth. And um, it's clear to anyone who's uncovered the stones of history and looked underneath the outer aspect of things that there's been this subterranean drive amongst some humans to actually make that search a serious part of their life. And I joined that consciously at about the age of 23 and ever since then I've made a distinction and perhaps I'll put this distinction forward as the beginning of this show you know in response to your introduction Mitch which is that there is a very big difference between information and fact and truth truth carries with it presence and it has being it lives. It's not something that can be stored in the memory and recalled to put forward to make an argument or to score a point. Living truth lives. And the person who has made a life dedication of the search for truth is a custodian of living truth. They're sense and association with truth is different from the way we talk about facts and information. Even a scientist today who may have come up with something complex and insightful can write it up, provide it as part of their PhD thesis, but it's not the same in living truth. 
And we have to a very, very large extent lost touch with living truth. Now, how would you make a distinguish a distinction on a practical level okay. between living truth, taking it out sure. of the abstract mm. into a real living situation? Okay. Now, I know you like to tease me with these concepts, Mitch, about the abstract, but okay, let's take it as a very real practical example. Let's say, uh, as an example, uh, yeah, let, let's say we take... Uh, a famous building, let's take one with a, um, an esoteric or you might say an occult uh, association, something like the Taj Mahal in India. And someone can say blithely, I have been to the Taj Mahal. It is beautiful. And that may be the case that they went there, that they stood outside, they walked the pathway to the main building, they stood inside, they may even have pictures to prove the point. But the way they approached it may only have accessed really that level of the senses, sight, sound, smell, taste, touch, that give an impression of a building. And that marries together in the brain, uh, probably mostly through the link to imagery. But let's just pause on that walk to the Taj Mahal and say, well, just a moment. Is there something required of me in entering the Taj Mahal? Is it just a matter of walk there, get there, got it? Is there something required of me? And maybe the person has done a little bit of research. Maybe they'll understand or have read that this building was created by, I think, someone called Shah Jahan in honor of his wife and her parting this world. And he wished to create a shrine of magnificence in honor of the earthly and universal love that he felt for her. And that would open up another realm of process about that building where one might walk in and admire the fineness of detail, the harmony of the parts, the, the overall themes that run through the building. And this would penetrate beyond the outer senses to the sense of <coughs> harmony that we feel as much as we can feel it in being human. But <coughs> for the real searcher for truth, they may never even walk in the building. They may sit outside. They may even turn their back on the... Um, the eliciting of the senses that would want to go there and say, I've been to the Taj Mahal, they may never even look at the building. But they'll try to allow the activation of a quite different system where they join the love, the universal and harmonic love that touched the man that built the building, 
And these are three entirely different octaves. Richard, what I would like to do, because while this is all very interesting, I feel very quotidian in comparison to where you have taken my question, because I am dealing with, in my framing of today's show, looking at the social, political, and ultimately psychological perspectives on how we process information. So while this example is a very real and substantive living example of the nature of our perception and the different places inside us we can listen from, from a practical point of view for our listeners who are very tied in to the rather seemingly chaotic issues of the day and dealing with some very real hardcore issues of climate change, for instance, where day by day the bungling of our leadership is hastening the potential of our demise as a species. Mm -hmm. So while I wholly appreciate the depth to which a person can experience the Taj Mahal, and I would like that to be for the wholeness of all life, at the same time, right now, we're dealing with some rather urgent, pressing matters having to do in reality with this thing called life or death. Okay. So That's let's, how real this so let's has take become. Plastic in the ocean. Is that daily enough? But yeah. Yeah. Everyone's seen images of it. The same principle applies. The same, same principle, which is why I began with a somewhat deeper, encompassing example. And as you know, my partner in this work with Kay is a UN officer, Michael Shuchuk, yes. who's working in the Seas and Oceans Division of the United in Nations. In fact, as we speak, he couldn't make today's yep. show because he's playing a very important managerial role there exactly. in the uh, oceans conversation. Exactly. So, you see, uh, someone looks at those uh, the, the plastic in the ocean and that lower response is we've got to find a way to get it out. We've got to find a way to deal with it. And that becomes the focus. Um, just like recently, the focus has been, do we continue with the climate change agenda from Paris, or don't we? This is the kind of news we daily meet. Um, well, that's all very well, uh, the idea that we're clearing up a mess. And there's no doubt that the world is a mess, that's the word you used, and it's chaotic, and it's actually alarming. And having worked at the UN, and I think you have as well, we know some of the inside story that it's always much more alarming than the alarming that it is. And That reaches the news. That reaches the news, and it's already sanitized, and that's even if we can absorb it, even if one can absorb these kind of figures like the oceans, the Arctic, and so on. But the point I'm making is that it hits the system, the human system, at the level of reaction. And we are addressing something from the standpoint that it's wrong. And of course, it looks wrong, it smells wrong, it tastes wrong. Everything about it seems wrong. The evidence about how much it's choking the ocean, 
that its microparticles are breaking up into the food chain, into the fish, into we're ingesting now plastic from the ocean when we eat fish, when we brush our teeth, it's in the toothpaste. But the limit of what we're addressing is actually far, the confines of it are far greater than sorting out what's wrong. And this is the probably the unique place we are in human history today, which is that our next steps are not based on adaptation. There's no time left. All the evidence is time has run out. And the thought that we will adapt our way of life uh, having been here in New York for the last two weeks, there's hardly evidence that we're adapting at high speed. I know there's great initiatives going on. But there's another perception here that this work is trying to bring forward, which says it, it, it has to include our human change and not just changing the external result. It has to be more than the people who have made the mess saying, okay, we'll do something to clean it up. And that change cannot be triggered by what's wrong. You can't find peace just by stopping war. We know these things. We say these things generation after generation. Peace is a state of elevated above conflict and the relief of conflict or the absence of conflict. Peace is a harmony of oneself within the purposes of living. So there is a point at which you look at that ocean and you say, hang on a minute, what is actually our human association with this planet? Michael tells me at this very minute they're dividing up the ocean floor to start excavating it. They're fighting over the ocean floor to be able to exploit it over the next 50 years, knowing full well that we're on the edge of catastrophe. So I don't think that we should be making the argument that this world is leading the way. I think that what's leading the way is another movement inside the human, a kind of consciousness that we've got it. We've lost that search for truth. We've lost that sense of humanity. And until we look from that, we are not going to and this, these horrific words, sort out the world. It's not the world that needs sorting out. So what is that change? What this is, even if it only offers 10% of the solution, whether it's environmentalists who we talk to or uh, action groups, that, that 10% can be the vital 10% between us missing this deadline and us beginning a movement of real change in the world. Let me phrase that or reframe it, yep. although I very much appreciate your words here, uh, to simplify the ancient Chinese proverb, the greatest change starts at home. Yep. In one sentence, for the sake of its ecosystemic efficiency, I offer that. Mm -hmm. And I wholly appreciate your points. Yeah. In other words, I'll again paraphrase, but I'd like to bring Kay in on the dialogue as well. You can tinker with the outside world all you want, and such tinkering can lead to some very positive results. 
However, who we are as humans, this is what I hear you calling out for loudly, Richard, who we are as humans in the midst of everything is ultimately what counts. You could almost think of the world as the opportunity for we humans to get our own personal act together, i.e. our own personal transformation. And the outer world is but a materialized reflection of how together and harmonized we are or not. So if we see plastic in the ocean, it is a very clear signal to us or symptom, however you'd like to look at it, of our own off-centeredness, our own imbalance, or as you last said, dividing up the ocean floor at a moment of time like this where we are teetering on the level of species and sentient life survival makes you one rather batty. And at the same time, for any kind of substance and change to take place, if it's not starting inside on the level of heart and soul, it's not going to be a lasting change. And even then, we don't know that it will be because of, you know, generations. Thank God for epigenetics, that we are literally changing the DNA through our choices of today that could possibly affect downstream progeny. I'd like to Mm. think that. Mm. Uh, at least we need to do our piece in the larger picture. So I hope that speaks to. Mm. Yes, that, that really okay, speaks. Please. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mitch. That really does speak to when you're talking about DNA and about how we as humans have the opportunity um, to uh, choose differently, to really uh, say and uh, recognize that the headlines, where they take us, is, is into conflict and, and recognize the impact that has on us and then come from a different place, which is what is being shown in the evolutory, that's E-V-O-L-U-T-A-R-Y, news. Evolutory? Evolutory news. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why not just invent a new word, Kay? Exactly. It was necessary to do that. Um, because we are in new times. We are at the edge. It's our human choice. We're at a choice point. What are we going to do? Are we going to allow ourselves to continue to plunder the earth? We don't own it. We do not own it. And until we begin to recognize that we are to uh, to be in partnership with with it, that we are, you know, the re- reciprocal relationship with the earth, with each other. It's a reciprocal, not not the contradiction of I'll get what I can get and me or me. you. Yeah, and it doesn't have to be that way. I'll plunder you. How uh, our choices. And I'd like um, Richard really to talk about a little more about the evolutionary news and the the meme that uh, we see going. Please do. I think I think one of the places we're really meeting on this, Mitch. Well, I know there's broad agreement with these things. Is that I've got the, the first copy of Evolutionary News um, actually takes that we take an item each week, which is 
in everyone's heads. Everyone's talking about this. The item last week was Trump defies globe to claim a political win. And what we do is we take the generally the first two or three sentences that are written. This is a CNN article, but it can come from any mainstream media. And we try and show the difference between fake news and real news. So let's, let's just take this one sentence. It says, the moment 3.35 Eastern Time, when Trump announced the United States would line up alongside Nicaragua, which rejected the accord because it was too lenient, and Syria, as the only global holdouts for the climate pact, may in years to come be remembered for other reasons. Trump's foes believe he has put America on a dangerous isolationist path that cannot but energize its great rival powers. Now, okay, one can read that and think it's news, but actually what's happening is that the language there is conditioning the human systems to not see rather than to see. So it says try and register the difference between fake news and real news. Now, we're conditioned by words like uh, the United States lines up along Nicaragua and Syria. So obviously it's causing in a person some alarm. The great shining house on the hill with Nicaragua, Syria, that's wrong. Right? So it's already lining a person up that way. This immediately conditions us. Right? And then it goes on. This leads to a dangerous and isolationist path. Right, it puts us in alert, in fight and flight, if you want. And then the news is our competitive advantage is being taken over by our rising great power rivals. So who's that? China, Russia, they're all taking over. We're going to lose out ah. here. Ah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's exactly, you just said it, that's exactly the noise that people make which they don't want to make before they go. A blood-curdling scream. Exactly. Now, at some point, one has to actually see that in oneself, that that's what one's internal systems are doing. And we're being played all the time. And this is CNN, right? This is, you could say, a more reputable news channel. But it's still fake news in that it's evoking a very old human system, old nervous system response. Now, is there a point it's when... It's a you, reptilian response. It is a reptilian response. Now, is there a point when you read that and say, well, hang on a minute, I've done that duality a million times. I'm conditioned to it. I can hear it all day long. I like this person, I don't like that person. This person is foreign, this person is natural, this person... And it goes on and on and on. And it is such a subject that we can hardly hear it. If a person seriously wants to make a difference, they stop at that point and they say, well, I see, I am aware of myself. Myself is locked inside that binary system. If you want the potassium and sodium of our nervous system, the, the synapse is so narrow that we're running it all the time at heat. It's a hot system now. And you stop and you say, okay, if I don't think that way, if I don't see it that way, where do I begin? And it puts us in a very different positioning. It says that, I wonder 
if I don't if I don't partake in that system, I wonder what might be a beginning point. And here is the point where we on this planet are frightened out of our wits and we're frightened from each other to say the immortal words of the searcher for truth I don't know. <laughs> I actually don't know. What a wonderful conference it would be. I said it in British to sound more intelligent. You did. Does it sound more intelligent? <laughs> it <doesn't> work. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, not knowing, well, um, you can say not knowing is, is the, the, the unfathomable scope of all we may yet know. It's a human virtue of our perception to not know, and to not know in a particular way, which is to be able to be in it and still and quiet enough to only watch those things that really count, not the things that can trigger us. It's so easy in this environment to trigger someone. Sure. Trump this, the administration that, CNN, Fox this, and people are now in a state of alert all the time. And from that alert state, nothing is resolved. So what I'd this like does, to, I'd like just, to, just last thing. So yeah. well, what this is saying is there is a necessary retraining that those of us who are becoming conscious of what is real need to share with the world, not from a superiority, but from an urgency that we cannot do that anymore. It doesn't solve the issue. Yes. And to stop trying to solve the issue that way. Stop it. Yeah. No, beautifully put. There's resolution that will be sought because all tensions seek resolution. Yes. All conflict seeks resolution. It's a matter of physics. There's a great esoteric saying, which is that contradiction is the entry point of higher truth. And to be in the non-resolution is a creative process, and I know you know that, but it depends whether the resolution is found at the same level or whether it pushes... I'm not saying that. No, I know you're not. I'm I'm sort of leaning on what you're saying to make a point here, that that's an evolutionary pressure. It's pressing the human forward. It's saying, let it show you. Let's see something else together. And the resolution... Is not sort. Is not in the the climate change. Seventeen UN climate change points are all desirable, but cannot be resolved at that level unless we move forward. Now I'll finish my point. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. (laughs) Jolly good. What we were talking about, yes, is let's just take a look at it from the point of view of horizontal change and vertical. Evolutionary and evolutory. Well, you could use that word, that's fine. But in what I'm saying is that there is this understanding that underneath chaos is organization. It all depends on how deep you go or how high you go, Mm. whichever perspective you, you know, appreciate. Yes. But the work of Hegel, where you have a thesis, antithesis, and a synthesis. Mm. That's what I was talking about. And that synthesis, Richard, is always of an evolutionary, upwardly spiraling, vertical level. It's a vertical integration, if you Mm. will. It's another 
to use Ken Wilber's phrase, another level of holon in a larger hierarchical holonic structure. Okay, so with that said, uh, that already defies the idea of purely a horizontal change because as we both know and you were already implying, Einstein's favorite or one of his great phrases is that you cannot change, um, you cannot resolve an issue on the same level of problem on which it was created, mm. i.e. you have to go to a higher level. Yes. The work of Ilya Prigogine, the physicist, and others all indicate that mm. out of chaos comes order. Mm. And, of course, you're implying that in the you know, beautiful way you put that yeah. we we are sort of initiated through complexity and through mm. chaos. Mm. And then out of that, we sort through on another level. Yes. But I want to go from my abstractions now mm. to uh, a place of resolution of looking at these uh, this news item that you read. Mm. And this is a beautiful example mm. of how we can use something as simple as a news report mm. to gain consciousness. Yes. Uh, you, you put it very well, and I, mm. I think that bringing this level of attention mm. to a news story mm. could benefit us all. In fact, if people were to listen to what it is we're saying here, yeah. uh, they could actually sit in front of the TV set and become enlightened. Yes. <laughs> as funny as it may sound, yes. it seems like such an unusual vehicle. Yes. But, in fact... So what we see is that we're being delivered up a certain kind of syntax yes. and content. The words themselves are designed to, designed to basically divide and conquer what the Brits have been doing for so long, right? And others have learned how to do it, and unfortunately, even CNN. So what would have appeared reputable in the ordinary world, mm. what we're seeing is that we're being positioned, as you're saying, mm. to behave a certain way, to hear the rallying cry for mm. war. Mm. Now, I just want to bring on a horizontal level another element so we can understand what's behind the news, yeah. doing what they're doing, acting in this, rather immature from my point of view and inane way yes. they are doing the bidding of a war industry mm -hmm. and the war industry so that's on an economic level and if we don't follow the crumbs of the money trail we won't really understand a lot of human mechanisms and that mechanism is all born out of something you were also pointing your finger to and which we talk about on the better world routinely which is the reptilian brain and the reptilian brain is always hungering for safety. In fact, that's its beautiful function. It wants to keep us safe. But without the activation of these other centers, we're going to flatline peculiarly. Yeah. We need to go above, and I say to people, go forward. That means go from the brain stem to the mammalian brain where we experience yeah. mammary effects like love and nurturance that women are so excellent at in general, and then to the prefrontal cortex 
and then even which gives us a sense of brotherly and sisterly love and harmony, right on down into the heart. It almost forms this arc into the place where we become our most human. So I just wanted to bring that to bear in all that you're saying because I'm so behind what you're saying as this kind of analytical perspective and undoing the linguistics and the syntax behind the writing. Please. Can we take it one more step? Please. And in a way, Mitchell, and this is what I've always appreciated talking with you, is that I think we're doing it as we're talking about it. We, we, you can't indeed you can't say I did it yesterday you know I elevated yesterday and I'm now taking <laughs> right, uh, right. the next six months off sabbatical alright but you see you, 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 um, it's living truth it's living truth harkening back to uh, our right, which of course is not, is not abstract but, but I know what you're saying alright so on the same day you know, on the next day there's another title of news, and it's called Fake News Spat Divides the Arab Nations. Now, for the person who's not overly reactive, it begins to start a process of perception. And I'll give a very short two sentence here. Fake news is infecting the perception of people the world over, and creating a cloud that infects the human mental process, so we simply can't see it. So this same headline appears the next day, and uh, the, the what it's saying is that it's getting around the world. This meme is getting around the world, and it's closing down perception. So people are getting more and more information and seeing less and less and less, and therefore this is suggesting. And of course that runs in. It tallies with the fact that people have more and more and get less and less out of it because it's more and more shallow. Such an irony. Yeah. So um, the only way to gain immunity from this infectious state is to actually base oneself in what is real because what is real and true and seeing the world afresh, not mired in division and difference, is the beginning of basing ourselves in the next step, as a, in a sense, taking a step forward. Now, people always say, well, okay, is this abstract? Well, I mean, okay, you say, knowing you don't know, but it, that is a very fundamental human step. It creates humility. It creates openness. It creates love of the other's position and understanding. And so we're coming to the point, or we're at the point now where the only immunity from a complete shutdown of the human system is to be based in what is. To actually, it's, I would almost say it's dangerous to watch the news and have no position because the next day you'll get up and you'll yap it to someone. Last night Trump this, the cabinet that, the this that, and it'll spread again. And now this is what we're seeing. I mean, I'm... In a way, I have the benefit of coming and going from New York, from Greece, from nothing going on to the center of the world. Yeah. And I can see it, the intensity... You have a certain level of objectivity that yeah. you're bringing forward from that yes. geographical, cultural yeah. change. Mm. So I think that we're seeing something where the answer is not to just turn off the news. The answer is, as you said, to let the news almost show you 
that something is required of us. We have to change when we watch the news. Not just the news, we have to change when we look at plastic, when we see conflict. We have to realize it is not out there. It's in here. And we've been looking for these links between the inner world and the outer world for well, a generation, if not all time. Right. But, but we're seeing it now. That In that moment where you say, actually, I daren't sit here in front of the news any longer unless I take a position about it. Unless I say, hang on, this thing about climate change is actually challenging me to come to a position that says, what is real about being on a planet for a human? What, what, what does it mean to be on a planet? What is it that's so special about being on a planet? And to actually ask a different set of questions that lead to different values, that lead to different harmonies that do not divide the ocean floor. And this is where you know, we believe and know it from experience that when we elevate, we're also, uh, we're also drawing upon our deeper humanity where we would not do these things. You can only carve up the ocean floor when you're dead as a human. I'm sorry. I'm saying it in extreme ways, but yes, who I, could I sit there and divide up the world? Abide, absolutely. Yeah. That's right. So I like to, and Kay, I would love to have you weigh in again here. Uh, you know, I always go back because of my own thinking, Richard, uh, to both a psychological as well as an ontological perspective on this. I start with the psychological, which is a bit more... Um, uh, kind of worldly, which looks at our deliverance as a being through the womb and the challenge of going from zygote to the pressure on our skull as we emerge out of the womb. And it was all so magnificently designed so that we would actually have certain kinds of initiatic experiences coming into the world, that it's not going to be completely easy. It's going to be a challenge, head-on, if you want to get metaphorical about it, in the world. And I kind of start looking there, and then look also at this notion of original sin. It may sound funny, but in our Western mindset, I personally believe through observation that that idea has infected as you are using the word infected our psyche and the way it metabolizes is that people may not feel that in the Christian sense they have sinned but rather that they are deficient that there's something wrong with them that they are not worthy or they're not lovable. So as a psychotherapist, I deal with issues of self-worth, self-image all the time. But even underneath that, it may sound funny, I feel there is this sense of am I lovable or am I not? Even if I don't have worth, even if I don't have confidence, even if I don't have a good self-image, can someone love me? And if we come into the world a bit blustery, the way I feel most people kind of tumble into it, 
nothing wrong with that, just the way it is, that we begin to engage in certain actions and attitudes that will help us assuage that feeling of not being lovable or engage in things that will make us more lovable. So if we look at our El Presidente from Mexico, Donald Trump, oh, I'm sorry, from New York, um, we see a fellow who is blustery, that is uh, always seeking to acquire and is territorial, all functions of a reptilian functionality that keeps him locked into a world view like we have to pull out of Paris because they're trying to control us and dictate the terms. Now, what kind of mind says that, thinks that? Whereas I would say other more elevated, more selfless, more self-loving people would say, no, 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 no. We're all sitting at the table together. We're breaking bread together. We're forming community. And we're all chipping in a piece of the whole to create a better world for all beings. It's a very different place inside from which we come to create that table where people are communing or the place where I'm pulling out, it's going to be my way or the highway, America first, blah, blah, blah. You see what I'm saying with all of this. So the upgrade that I feel you both have in mind for humanity and course here at a better world as well mm. is this idea of we can do this together we can upgrade our hardware and our software we can step out of that notion that we're not lovable or we have no worth and therefore have to grab at the world and win myself at another person's expense mm. you see I'm kind of laying out the psychological uh, um, basis of the behavior that we see everywhere, mm. especially in leadership positions. Yeah. Well, okay, if I can respond to you know, quite a broad number of points you make, um, and particularly in that word ontological, you know, the sense of uh, a person's being, is that um, I think Ken Wilber makes this point that you know, waking up and growing up belong with each other. Yeah. That you can't, you, 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 you know, and it's a great insight. And I think uh, Jesus did too, actually. Well, and, you know, <laughs> we all have a right to say we've founded it. And, but, but and our dear friend, Mr. Gurdjieff, as well. Of course, right. Gurdjieff, uh, what is real only when I am. Yes, exactly. But, um, you know, there's, I mean, okay, yes, of course, we're talking about Trump, but we're talking about... The, oh, the, much larger than yeah, the, yeah. The, the formation of a life, because people need to identify what's going on there, and that's fair enough. It's fair enough to talk about him because people are unable or disturbed yeah. about that formation. Many people are, and it's quite. It, it, it is very, very exact, and I think you're making the point. You say that that adolescence seeks to impress the world and others, but 
adulthood asks of the universe what can i do what can i what can my response be and the breakdown the necessary breakdown between those two is vital now the really deep sense of belonging is that i belong because something is required of me not i belong because my identity attaches itself to things mm-hmm. and we're looking at you could almost say like the fall of rome being enacted and of course it is in central park uh, with julius caesar at the moment is that you're looking at something very exact which is that this need to keep identifying with one's success and one's uh, one's ego it, it's in the last throes and it's quite ridiculous in its way because it clearly has no veracity anymore and that the the growing up that we're facing is to belong because we realize that being empty is itself the beginning of another journey it's like a restart absolutely yeah. and that our human adulthood is about returning to the source and not arriving here so like you described so well the baby appearing in the world and being bombarded by impressions sorting through them wanting to make sense of the world having an identity not realizing that in the adult you get this shift between adolescence and adulthood is when we realize that actually that's only the beginning we're only at the beginning now yes. although it seems to us late in world history we're at the beginning of adulthood so therefore i find great settlement because i look at a lot of the world leaders and i think okay 12 years old uh and i we get to know how it's going to play out we do it as well i have those voices in me still as much as i've tried all my life they're all in there but principally it's a new beginning of human adulthood so although biologically childhood adolescence adulthood is a sequence we have not really activated the spiritual dimension of adulthood what does it mean And I think that's what we're talking about here. I think this is okay as a radio show on or to but it's so important. Mm. It is just the issue of our time, which is that of course we're going to look back on this and say these were irresponsible children in a world playing with the planet, playing with fire, playing with fire. Oh. And uh your you know, words are just, you know, they echo what I've been saying for so long and I I I so appreciate that Richard yeah. because it's uh pithy and gets to the heart of the matter yeah. and uh yeah. what can I say it's sorry one one last line and I'm not was, I, I, you know we talk about we need to do it together but we have to do it alone to do it together each of us has to find that beginning and then we realize there are others mm-hmm. when you make that journey yourself loneliness is the sense of being honed to that new beginning community is the realization that all went through the same sequence so i think we're moving i mean you know i didn't know you a year ago a year ago i didn't know many of these people in america's landscape who i now respect who when you sit down you know that it is the real thing because we can talk about the same universal sequence it's not a person it seems a personal experience but it's the least personal of all things. Sorry, Kay. I yeah. <laughs> Kay, please. Yes, yeah. Well, you know, um it, I'm I'm just uh actually thrilled to be sitting here, you know, the three of us together on this journey that that we took last week uh 
and uh, and here we are arriving back at the same place, that wonderful place where where we as humans can meet each other as from that deep, elevated place of being human. What does it mean to be human? Is to really step forward into that adulthood that that you're talking about, that response to what is what is it that I need to do to make a better world, as you put it, Mitch? What is it? What is it in me that's available? What? How can I make what's that unique being that I am? matter in these times and yours and yours and yours and for each of us to really step up to that and say yes yes and that's you know in terms of doing it together that's what we're inviting with the evolutionary news to come together and together let's see let's see how we can see more clearly together beautifully put Kay Let's see how we can see. I am reminded of two stories as you're both speaking so beautifully here. Uh, one is of someone I studied with who was a uh, teacher, an advisor to Werner Erhard in the formation of the Forum, which was the latter-day development of what he began as Est, taught, which means in Latin, of course, it is, and that was a revolutionary and evolutionary movement that took place in the United States and then globally uh, starting back in the early 70s. And that gentleman was named Fernando Flores. He was the former Minister of Finance in Chile under Allende before Allende was overthrown by the United States government and replaced with the General Pinochet. And um, Fernando Flores ended up being politically imprisoned, ended up going then later to Harvard, PhD, in the work of uh, philosophy of Martin Heidegger, and emerged as this, you know, rather self realized being, interestingly, from a life of hardship, well, from being sort of on the top as Minister of Finance to you know, in jail, imprisoned, and then going through his dissertation, what have you. But the point is that it was in his presence when I was at the ripe old age of about 30 that I heard him say about our need to wake up and grow up. And it was interesting, the context in which he was saying it, because he was saying it in the middle of New York City as a Chilean, who had a very rough life along with his people, where when people, guys, turned 11, 12, and 13 years old, they were already having the lives of someone 25 or 30 or 35 in the United States. They did not have the luxury that we have had to remain in a dreamy state, so to speak, not dealing with real-world issues. And just as we can look at the news here, uh, in the news column that you were quoting, Richard, and analyze it in a way to see how we are being manipulated emotionally toward a certain world view and causing internal chaos in the listener or the reader, 
and that is a manipulation and people really need to know it and I feel that a lot of the good work you're doing with all of this is to help show this to people and I, I just really laud that. At the same time, there really is this need for us to get off of our uh, materially, relatively wealthy position, this cushy life, and looking at the suffering that is really taking place worldwide, including in our own country, of some 18 million children going to bed hungry every single night in the richest country in the world. So I always say, materially rich, spiritually impoverished. Except, thank God, for conversations like this. And I am very pleased to say that I know these conversations are proliferating across the United States and across the planet because there really are, thankfully, people of good heart, good conscience, and sound mind who have a yearning for something higher than this more quotidian life that many people rather unconsciously opt for because they don't know and do not feel the presence of choices. Yeah. Yeah. Does that resonate? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So can we, we are just about out of time. So can we if you would offer like to, people, um, if yes, you'd like a copy, do. Uh, we bring this newspaper out. Well, it's an online sheet every week. And if you would like a copy, just write to us on... Okay. Uh, at um, Evo News at globalcenterforhumanchange.org. Or an easier way is just to go to the Evolutory News Facebook page and sign up there. Are you Please sure that's easier? Join. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, Why don't it you is. spell that out? E V O L U T A R Y News. Okay. Yes. And I know spell check will try and put in anything but evolutory. It'll put in voluntary or evolutionary, but it is evolutory, and you'll, we will put on there exactly what we mean by evolutory. Right. I think you may want to take this up with Merriam-Webster. Yes. And the second thing is on Thursday evening on the Upper West Side, we're doing a Evo News Forum where people can bring any item of news and myself and Kay and Mike will be there. And we'll show the way to see the fake, if you want, the not real, from the real. Uh, and if you also write in and say you're interested in coming, we're going to give free tickets to the first 30 people, and you can come along and not just do the work with us, but we'll show some of the template behind a new way of perception, a new way of seeing a new time. Um, and, Mitch, it's always great to meet you again and talk and to reaffirm, which I think is a very important thing between all of us, to reaffirm the value that stepping forward, one is not alone. One is alone with others, and that's the richest thing. One has a sense of oneself with others. Mm, that's rich. Beautiful. It's not a gray conglomerate, a social thing. It's a very unique respect. So we fight a bit, we challenge a bit, but inside of it, is a very real and honourable endeavour, and I think that's something Absolutely. I respect about the radio station 
on being able to talk to you. So thank oh, you very much. You're so welcome, Richard. <laughs> Such a pleasure to have you both on. I, I realized I had said that uh, I had two stories. One was Fernando Flores yeah. about our waking up and what it really means, not just words on some kind of superficial dimension, mm. but in dealing with life and death issues as he was in Chile, that people really need to like feed their families and grow food and be present and deal with hardship together holding hands. But I also had a gentleman that I used to work with in a French restaurant in Westport, Connecticut. As a busboy, he used to say to me, I get along with everybody because I treat them a bit like children. I'm very kind, I'm very understanding, and I don't expect all that much. And things go splendidly. Anyway, I always thought about that. Like, gee, you know, everyone is children, even if they're in a grown-up body. Well, I'm still putting that one together. The wise words of my dear friend, Horst Antosh. So anyway, again, thank you both for being on A Better World with me today and all of your thoughtful positions and perspectives considered very Thank rich. You. I really do. Kay Dundorf and Richard Bowell. So, I want to just thank you all for listening and tuning in today. Uh, remember that we are a 501c3, a nonprofit organization, and so appreciate your donations when you can, however much you can. It really helps us all sizes, shapes, and forms helps us. We're also looking for interns. If anyone has video editing skill or website skill or social media. I appreciate if you would write to me at mjr at abetterworld.net. That's mjr at abetterworld.net. You could be of great service to our, our budding enterprise. And if you do not yet get our newsletter, please go to abetterworld.tv. It's free, it's weekly, it announces the weekly radio and the community television show that's on every Monday evening at 7 p.m. here in New York City, as well as online at the same website, abetterworld.tv. Thanks again for joining, and I look forward to seeing you all next week.